Good morning, Riverside. Allow me to get situated. Folks, I want to start off by uh, just uh, celebrating people. Um, I get here on Sundays around 8 or 8.30, and I just really appreciate, you know, I see, um, you know, Ezra and I talk about it. We see the hard work all the ministry leaders do um, on Sunday mornings. You know, we have over 60-plus people serving uh, in these areas. And I just want to give a round of applause for the ministry leaders and everybody helping out. Uh, it's awesome. It's inspiring. Uh, they also help me allow out, out too for my preaching. Uh, I'm not going to lie because when I get here, I'm kind of nervous, and I, I like to have these conversations with them um, because it gets my mind off my nervous uh, stomach and uh, the the sermon itself. And I had some pretty interesting conversations this morning, and they did a pretty good job of getting my mind off it. We talked about the Jersey Shore, right? <laughs> We talked about fibromyalgia. <laughs> uh, what else did we talk about? We talked about Jamaica. There was a Jamaican conversation in there. Um, so, guys, thanks for doing that. Uh, I'm less nervous uh, because of that. Uh, folks, so these areas that we're talking about um, and serving, they have a huge impact on the kingdom of God. You know, I don't want us to look at uh, church um, as just this thing that happens like once a week. Um, this is part of uh, the kingdom, you know, when we come together and, and we worship uh, God together as a community. And when people pass through Riverside, they're, they're really passing through a piece of the kingdom. So, you know, everybody that's serving in their areas, in, the, in these different ministries, it's a big deal. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to put pressure on you. I just want you to, you know, have a little bit more of an appreciation for, uh, you know, what they do. Um, it's awesome what they do. So, folks, let's uh, pray before we get started here. Heavenly Father, uh, God, we humbly come before you, uh, Lord, and we want to be able to hear your word today, Lord. I pray that uh, people see you and uh, they don't see me up here, God. Um, God, just uh, penetrate hearts and minds today so they can leave here uh, a little bit changed, uh, a little bit transformed, Lord. Um, have hearts uh, that are a little bit more like you, Jesus. Um, God, and we learn a little bit more about, about serving, uh, serving our, our families and, and serving our community and serving the church. Uh, and, and there's so many areas that we can have an impact on, God, and we're going to see that today in today's scripture. And we thank you for your word, Lord, and uh, we praise you uh, at all times, God. And I pray this uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this sermon series uh, in Acts, it's called Chosen to Serve, and God, he chooses us to serve him. We don't actually choose God. Um, he chooses us to serve him, and as Ezra mentioned something last week or two weeks ago that was interesting to me, it really struck a chord with me. You know, when he chooses us to serve, he doesn't whisk us away, you know, to uh, God's castle, you know, and serve him in isolation, no, what God actually does is he just leaves us right where we are. He leaves us right where we are, and he's like, okay, go serve. So a lot of times that can be confusing. It's like, okay, where, can I, where should I start? You know, I don't know how to serve. And we're going to look into that a little bit today. You see, serving, it's, it's an expression of obedience. Uh, we serve Jesus by serving others. That's how we serve Jesus. 
because Jesus served others. So we serve him by serving others. And, you know, we're not, don't get me wrong, like, you know, we're not responsible for the entire kingdom here. You know, only Jesus is tasked with that for the entire kingdom. But God, he gives us a little piece of the kingdom. And we're responsible for, you know, serving that piece of the kingdom and stewarding that piece of the kingdom. And I call this message, uh, I call it footprints. It's like, man, Brian, that's pretty deep. Um, can you explain that a little bit more? So recently I, I learned for the first time about this whole concept with uh, air pollution. Keep following me here, okay? It's called these carbon footprints. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, carbon footprints. I'm probably behind. Um, many of you have probably heard of that a long time ago. I tend to be behind on things. Like, I listened to a new, Christ, a, a new Christian song, and Stephanie's like, man, that's like so 2002. I'm like, what? <laughs> Sometimes it's embarrassing. So I'm rolling down the road listening to, like, a really old Christian song. Like, it's new. Folks, uh, carbon footprints are these things where, uh, where I first learned it was I read this article about Justin Timberlake. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I read, a, <laughs> I read an article about Justin Timberlake, and he goes on these tours across the country, and he hires this company to figure out the carbon footprint that his tour buses leave on the environment, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, and he hires this company to plant trees uh, wherever his tour bus goes to offset the carbon footprint. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so, but here, I'm really focusing on this whole carbon footprint thing. It's... You know, as, as individuals, we leave a carbon footprint, you know, with greenhouse, green, greenhouse gas emissions, right? Well, it's kind of just like serving. It's like serving. We, we leave behind, um, like, a footprint. It's, it's an impression on the people around us and on this piece of the kingdom that God gives to us. Uh, we leave these footprints, and we're going to see that today uh, in today's scripture with Stephen. And I want to give you an example of a footprint uh, it's nothing that I did or anything. It's actually Stephanie and I, my wife, we got served uh, uh, this past February. So <laughs> she's laughing. She's like, oh, no, what's this about? So uh, this past February, we went to Costa Rica. It was awesome. Uh, we rented a car, and none of us knew how to drive stick shift. So that's a whole other story. And so we're on our way back to, uh, I forget what the capital city is called. It's where the airport is. And yeah, and uh, <laughs> I knew that. So, you know, we're driving back to the airport, and we're like, man, we ran out of cash. You know, we ran out of American money, and we ran out of their cash as well. So it's cool. We won't need cash. Uh, we have credit cards. So we're driving down, uh, you know, this highway in Costa Rica. We really have no idea where we're going. We're relying on the GPS, and all of a sudden, uh, we get to a toll booth. Yeah. We get to a toll booth. And we're like, oh my gosh, like, what are we going to do? Um, we're in a foreign country. We have no idea. We don't speak their language. Um, so we get to this toll booth, and we park off to the side. And I get out of the car, and I, I just I see a policeman, you know, because toll booths, they have, like, security offices. Um, so this toll booth had a security office that was fenced in. And I saw a policeman behind a fence. So I go up to the policeman, and I explain to him what's going on. Um, I'm like, and... I think he understood a little bit what I was talking about, but 
after it all, he just didn't care. <laughs> so I was like, all right, that didn't work. So I go up to, I, I actually go up to the toll booth lady. I go up to one of the toll booths, and she has no idea what I'm saying. Um, and then finally, I leave the toll booth area, and I see a van with an American bumper sticker. I'm like, sweet, Americans. So I go up to the van, and I'm like, hey, guys, and they're not American. <laughs> this really happened. <laughs> and so after that, I go back to the car, and I'm just like, yeah, we're feeling pressure here. And I'm just like, man, God, I don't know what to do. Like, I feel like I've done everything that we could do. And uh, I was like, if we're going to get through this toll booth, like, you're going to have to do something. Um, so just moments later, right after that, this guy comes up to us, right, and his son. So at this toll booth, uh, these, uh, these, these, this group of uh, men, they're, less, they're not well off. They're, they're selling bananas uh, at the toll booth as people drive by to make a living. And this guy and his son come up, um, and I think he understood, like, what was going on. I think he was observing me um, going around talking to people. <laughs> And he comes up, and uh, he gives us the money. Yeah, he gives us the money, and I'm just like, man, I don't know what to do. Like, I can't speak your language. Like, God bless you. Like, I just didn't know what to do, and we couldn't really do anything about it. We just went our separate ways. Um, and you know why that's a footprint? Not only just because, like, Stephanie and I, like, we'll never forget that. That's just one of those stories, you know, a married couple has, you know, as they progress in their marriage. Um, but other people were affected by that, too, because you know who else was watching all of this going on? The policeman was watching, the toll booth lady was watching, and the son just saw an, an amazing example that his father gave out of the generosity in his heart. That's a footprint. You know, I doubt the policeman and the toll booth lady are going to forget that. I'm sure that's going to remain in their minds, you know, for a long, long time, that generosity. And that's the kind of, that's what I'm talking about here with these footprints. It, it leaves an impression on us that really we never forget, especially Stephanie and I. We're never going to forget that. So today we're going to talk about Stephen. Uh, he, he was given a piece of the kingdom to serve, uh, and he left a huge footprint, a huge footprint on the world. So before we get into the scripture, who, who was Stephen? Um, you know, Ezra preached uh, last week uh, on really some background on Stephen. Stephen uh, was one of seven people that were chosen for these ministries uh, so they could uh, relieve the apostles for preaching and teaching. It's not that preaching and teaching was more important. It's just uh, there were other needs that had to be uh, taken care of. And the apostles, they needed, you know, some help. You know, they needed other leaders to step in and start serving. Uh, where the need was. So Stephen was one of these seven people that were chosen for these ministries, and these ministries included um, aid, aiding in the distribution of funds to the widows of the community. They distributed, they distributed uh, food and charitable aid to the poor members of the community. So this is kind of like, this is like the hospitality ministry we have here, uh, led by Mindy Marks. You know, the hospitality, they you know, they find out what the needs are, and they, they make meals, and they send them to, you know, people having children, or, you know, if somebody's sick in our church, you know, they'll, they'll make a meal, and they'll send it uh, to their house. So this is like, you know, a real-life thing that we're seeing even today, what Stephen uh, was responsible for. So getting into the scripture, 
starting in uh, chapter 6, verse 8, one of the, uh, I'm not going to uh, really, you know, all of this, as I read the scripture, it's really going to just be contextual stuff. So we're going to get really into the meat of the sermon after we go through the scripture. Chapter 6, verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So in addition to these smaller service responsibilities that we just talked about Stephen being uh, responsible for, God gifted him through the Holy Spirit to do greater things in scope, right? So if Stephen wasn't faithful with these smaller things, these smaller acts of service, I don't believe God would have, you know, moved him on to these greater acts of service. You know, we're to be faithful with the small things, and when we're faithful with the small things, God gives you more. Here, now do this. Okay, so this is kind of what we're seeing here with Stephen. Verse 9, and some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. So these, these are like uh, Jewish slaves that were freed, and they, they went and started their own synagogues. And they had their own like kind of theologies uh, and doctrines. Um, and, you know, when I was reading this, this is how my mind thinks. <laughs> like, I was like, this is like the West Side story. Because, <laughs> look, you got... You got the Serenians, right? This is like the sharks and the jets. You got the Serenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, and they rose up and disputed with Stephen. So you basically got these gangs that were going on there in the ancient times, and they're kind of surrounding Stephen, you know, because Stephen, you know, by the Holy Spirit, he's preaching and he's teaching and, and he's sharing, you know, the, the Christian theology with, uh, with people, and they're just not in agreement with this. So we got the West Side story going on here. We got gangs. Verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So these are like prominent, uh, successful, distinguished, older men, right? And, and they appeared to be religious. They appeared to be religious. And Stephen just pummels them with Holy Spirit wisdom. He just absolutely destroys them with Holy Spirit wisdom. And what we see now here is this is, a, this is a big point. The Holy Spirit, it's, it's not just like a healer. The Holy Spirit is not just a power source. Like, it, it is those things. But the Holy Spirit comes with a message. The Holy Spirit comes with a message. So let's keep that in mind. So moving on to verse 11. And then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. They bring him before the Sanhedrin. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Folks, Stephen, when I, when I read this, He's basically getting TMZ'd here. They're secretly instigating men. They're, they're stirring up people, right? Isn't that what TMZ does? Like, they just, like, stir things up, you know? They just instigate things, right? And then they, they set up false witnesses against Stephen, and they're doing the same thing that they did to Jesus, right? Jesus got TMZ'd, now Stephen's getting TMZ'd. This is just not cool, so we, got, we have like two accusations going on here. Uh, the first accusation is Stephen spoke against the temple 
and the Holy Land. And the second accusation is Stephen spoke against Moses and the law. So those are the two accusations going on here. And we get to verse 15, and gazing at him, and all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So the Holy Spirit is just about to go bananas on these guys. And the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said. So what does he say? Stephen doesn't just give like a yes or a no. And he doesn't even get defensive about it either. Stephen goes on the offensive, and he drops like the, one of the greatest sermon bombs ever that you'll ever see in Scripture. And then the sermon is awesome, and it's too long for us to, to read and to pick apart, so I'm just going to kind of summarize it. So Stephen is going through, uh, he, he kind of summarizes three individuals in the, in the history of the Israelites. Moving on to the next slide. So Stephen talks about Abraham, he talks about Moses, and he talks about Joseph. So with Abraham, he's like, guys, listen, the covenant was established well before there was a temple and well before there was a law. It's not really about the temple. Like, God chose, he chose Abraham. The covenant was established before all that stuff, okay? And not only that, it was done outside of the Holy Land. It was done outside of the Holy Land. And then he goes to Joseph. God was with Joseph the whole time. All the time, God was with Joseph. Joseph didn't need to go to a temple to, to be with God, to commune with God. All of this happened before there was a temple, right? Before there was a tabernacle. And then he talks about Moses. God appeared to Moses before there was a tabernacle, before there was a temple, you know, he, 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 called Mo, he called on Moses before they were in the promised land, you know, before there was the law and before there was all these religious customs. God worked. He was with these people. And this is what Stephen is trying to explain. You know, it's okay. Like, the, the temple has its, its significance, but there's a new significance to it that we're going to talk about. And we're not to elevate the significance of the temple anymore than, than we're supposed to. So folks, why, why do we love buildings so much? Why do we love like places? You know, you ever go to a place and you get that feeling, you know, in your stomach, it's like, you know, the best way I can explain it is, so I used to be a PGA golf professional and I, I've been to Augusta National Golf Club. Has everybody heard of Augusta National? Augusta National is basically like one of the greatest golf courses in the universe. Um, and it is. So I've been there a couple times, and not to play it, uh, but just for the tournament. And this past April, I took my wife uh, to Augusta for the first time. She had never been there before. And we get to Augusta National. And you know, I love Augusta National. And we get there, and you, know, you go through the spectator area. And then finally, you, know, you step over onto the grass. It's like, oh my gosh, Augusta National. And I'm like, baby, what do you think? And she's like, it's just a golf course. <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. Like, this is Augusta National. Like, you don't know the history of this place, like the significance of this place. You know, I'm elevating this place into, you know, something that's just, it's out of line, 
basically. You know, people idolize this place, Augusta National, and I'm, I'm guilty of it. You know, I'm still, God's still working on my heart, right? Or I remember, I'm a Yankee fan, by the way, so, yeah. Yeah. So I remember the first time I went to the old Yankee Stadium. This is the old Yankee Stadium, not the new one, the old one. And I remember walking in, you know, for the first time, and I'm just like, my goodness, Babe Ruth, just looking around, wow, Joe DiMaggio, Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra, Roger Maris, Derek Jeter, right? You know, there's just this aura that we create. It's not real, you know. Sure, there was cool things that happened in this building, but we, we create this aura in these places that we elevate it to a level that it's just unnecessary. It's unnecessary, and we actually idolize these places. And I'm not going to lie to you. I want to go to Israel. I do. I want to go to Israel. I want to see the places. I want to see the Sea of Galilee. You know, I want to see the road to Damascus. I want to see um, you know, the Wailing Wall. I want to go to where the temple once stood. Right? I think everybody wants to do that someday. There's nothing wrong with that. But where it goes wrong is where we, we elevate this place into, into something that it's just not. It's not. God had a plan for the Holy Land at one point, and now he, we're under a new covenant, and he has a different plan that's a part of his greater redemptive uh, blueprint. So, again, there's nothing wrong with going to, the, to Israel and to see the Holy Land. I mean, you know, but the problem is, is when you see these organizations and... You know, they're actually selling dirt from the Holy Land. Like, if you don't live there, you can go on this website and you can, like, buy a little capsule of dirt, right? And they, you know, the, the organization will, like, pray over it and they'll bless over it. They'll, they'll bless it and then they'll mail it off to you and you get this capsule of Holy Land dirt and all of a sudden, like, it's just supposed to be, like, all spiritual, you know, that you have this, like, in your house. That's just ridiculous, if you ask me. Folks, an American pastor, Mark Driscoll, he has this quote. He says, the Holy Land is just dirt. That's all it is. It's just dirt where Jesus walked. You don't have to go somewhere to be near Jesus. Jesus came to be near you. So you don't have to go over there and, you know, just think you're going to get this amazing spiritual experience in Israel. No, you're going to get it here. You can get it here in America just as much because Jesus is with you. He comes to you, right? You see, God, he never confined himself to the temple. He never confined himself to the temple. He never meant for the temple to last forever because he had a new and greater temple that would last forever. Jesus, right? So the temple back then in the tabernacle, like it was a way for God to come and dwell with us but it was really more like, this is how you come to me. Like, I'm setting up this tabernacle in the temple, and this is how you come to me. And when he sent Jesus, it's God saying, I come to you now. I come to you. So this church building here that we're in right now, there's very little significance in this building. There, there's really not much significance in it. You know, uh, he can use a movie theater, Right? For, for 13 years, he used a movie theater to grow his kingdom in this area, in Horsham. For 13 years, planted three churches, four churches, three. 
planted <laughs> whatever. He planted churches out of a movie theater. As far as I'm concerned, God's working, right? So I don't want you guys to think like you don't come here on Sundays to visit God. You don't come here to visit him in the sense that like he's only in here and not out there. You know, it's not like, you know, he, he you see, he, he resides in you wherever you go. And you, you eat with him, you drive with him, you mow the lawn with him, you commune with him at home. You know, it's not like, you know, you, when you leave here today, when you leave here today, he actually, he goes with you. Think about that. That's amazing. He goes with you. He doesn't stay here. He doesn't stay here and wait for you to come back next Sunday. Now, no. no. There's really not much significance. This building is really just, it's, it's a great way for us to come together as a community and worship God. It's a vessel, you know, and God anoints it. He uses it to do his work in the community, but that's it. You know, outside of that, there's really not much uh, significance to this building. One day, we're, we may not even be in this building anymore. This building may not even be here anymore. The temple was torn down, Right? So what I want you to understand coming out of this is Jesus, Jesus is the temple now. And our, the holy land is our hearts. Our heart is the holy land and Jesus is the temple. He's with you wherever you go. Okay? So they, they basically created idols of the temple. They were, they, were, they were worshiping the temple of God and not the God of the temple. Okay? And then there's the law. Right? So Stephen is speaking against the law. The law, like, it doesn't get us closer to God. You know, we don't gain favor with God through the law. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't justify us to God and make us right with him. Only faith and a relationship with Jesus justifies us in God's eyes. You see, something I learned again in a past sermon that Ezra preached, it never occurred to me, God delivered Israel from Egypt before the law was given. That's huge. He didn't institute the law and was like, follow this, and then he delivered Egypt. Egypt. And then he delivered Israel from Egypt. He delivered, he delivered Israel from Egypt before he gave the law. That's huge. Does that make sense? So the law, it's really just, they're boundaries that benefit our lives. They're boundaries that benefit our lives and ultimately... We can't follow the law perfectly, and he knows that. So all the law is is just a way to show us our need for a Savior. It points in the direction to the Savior. So Stephen, as you can see in all this, he's emphasizing a relationship with God on the basis of faith. He's emphasizing a relationship with God on the basis of faith, not outward evidences like a temple or the law, which is what these, um, you know, the, the Sanhedrin and what these other people we're, we're preaching. So moving along in the scripture, you know, this is going to get a little serious now. Verse 51. You stiff-necked people, Stephen says. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Now, to these people, what he's saying here, this is like really 
<laughs> they're, they're taking some serious offense to this. Like what he's saying is serious to these guys. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Do you sense like a little, you know, a little <clears throat> right into their gut, a little sarcasm there? Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute, right? So he's saying they persecuted all of them, all of the prophets. And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So these guys, they appear religious. They're like, yeah, we follow the law, and then they go kill Jesus. Yeah, hypocrites. And we're going to see their hearts soon, and they show their hearts again. So at the end of the day, Stephen accuses them of always rejecting God's messengers. They rejected Joseph. They rejected Moses. They rejected all of the prophets. They rejected Jesus. And this is a moment of truth for the accusers. They could turn to God and repent or turn away. We all have that same choice. In verse 54, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. Can you imagine that? (laughs) These are like grown men, supposed to be grown men, grinding their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. You're grown men, prominent, you know, wealthy grown men. They cry out with a loud voice and they stop their ears, right? They're not listening anymore. And they rush together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stone him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Jesus kind of said the same thing on the cross. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Jesus said the same thing on the cross. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So, folks, these guys, they couldn't handle the truth. They were given the truth, and they couldn't handle it. It's like that movie, A Few Good Men. I love that movie. I love movies. And they're, they're in the courtroom. Matt likes that movie. <laughs> they're in the courtroom, and he's like, you want the truth? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth, right? Legendary scene in a movie. That's what's going on here. They can't handle the truth. The truth is what it is. You either receive it or you don't receive it. And they couldn't handle it. Now they reject Stephen. They reject Joseph. They reject Moses. They reject the prophets. They reject Jesus. And now they're rejecting Stephen just again and again and again and again. It still happens today. It still happens today. And as Stephen takes stone after stone to the head, face, and chest, he prays from a heart like Jesus. Lord, forgive them. Forgive them. Receive my spirit. And he falls asleep. Folks, when a, when, a, when a believer in the Bible dies, it says he falls asleep. Because when you fall asleep, you're going to wake up one day. 
you're going to wake up. So let's talk about footprints. Let's go back to this whole footprints thing. What are Stephen's footprints here in, in, in this scripture and what we know about Stephen? Stephen touched the lives of the widows and the poor of the community. You can be sure that, you know, it doesn't say it in scripture, but when you're alongside these people, I'm sure there was discipleship going on. I'm sure there was, you know, encouragement and love. He touched the lives of these widows in this community. He blessed the apostles by freeing them up for preaching and teaching. You know, it's kind of like all the ministry leaders here. Um, you know, Ezra can't do this on his own. We need to free up time for Ezra to preach and teach. You know, he can't run the cafe. He can't, you know, do parking all at once. He can't do this stuff all at once. Right? What else? So Stephen, he gave a hard message to, to the Sanhedrin. And I, I seriously doubt those guys, you know, what, what they were just told here in this sermon, that it would ever leave their consciences. So this, this left a footprint on the minds of the Sanhedrin. What else? This is probably the ultimate footprint. God chose Stephen to die. This wasn't random. This wasn't random. This wasn't by accident or a coincidence. From the beginning of time, God knew there was going to be a first person to die for my son. And I'm choosing Stephen to do it. Stephen's going to be the one to die for Christ, to die for the gospel. And this is the footprint. This is his footprint. His execution has sparked a mass persecution of the Christians, right? And when that happened, the Christian population scattered, right? And when the Christian population scattered, what happened? They went throughout the region and they preached the gospel. And that's how the gospel went out into the world. That's a big footprint. That's a huge impression on the world. Stephen's uh, execution. Folks, God chose Stephen to serve. He didn't whisk him away to a palace in isolation, and God was like, now serve me. No, you serve him by serving others. He left Stephen right where he was. He left him right where he was. And Stephen was faithful with the smaller tasks, and God empowered him for the greater task of preaching this sermon bomb on these guys and then ultimately dying for Christ and the spread of the gospel. Stephen served in his death. He served in his death. This was Stephen's piece of the kingdom. This was his piece of the kingdom. It was, it was, it was, it was like his piece that God gave him to, to steward and to serve. And Stephen's attitude... This is it, his attitude. Anytime, anywhere, anything. That's his attitude. Is that our attitude? Anytime, anywhere, anything, Jesus. You tell me where to go, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. So what's your attitude? What's your attitude? You know, we only want to do what we want to do. I know about this. But if everybody in the world only did what they wanted to do, very little would get done for Christ in the world. Because it's sacrifice is what gets things done for Christ. It's sacrifice. Anytime, anywhere, anything. Christ, I'll die for you. If that's how you want me to serve, then tell me. Make it happen. 
Folks, that man's sacrifice that made it possible for us to get through that toll, Jesus' sacrifice, it made it possible for us to receive salvation and to spend eternity with God. I'll take you back um, to, to the good old days, really not that long ago. Um, I know about this whole concept of only doing what you know, we want to do. I still struggle with it at home. <laughs> Too often I just want to do the things I want to do. You know, I don't want to do things I don't want to do. Well, here at the church, there was a time when you know, we plugged into Riverside, we started going, and I just wanted to grow as a Christian without rolling up my sleeves and you know, getting my hands dirty and serving. I just wanted to grow by reading scripture. You can grow by reading scripture, but you can grow more by serving. So there was a time when I wasn't serving, I was like, man, I don't wanna do nothing, right? So then I got this call at work from Keith Grant. He's like, B-dobes, that's what he calls me. He's like, you're not gonna believe it, man. I'm like, what? He's like, Aaron's leaving. Aaron Harvey is leaving. That's our previous pastor. He founded the church in the year 2000. I was like, no way. Like, I looked up to Aaron, you know? I learned a lot from him in our men's discipleship group. And when I found out Aaron was leaving, I just felt God just squeezing my heart. It's like, dude, it's time to get in the game. It's time for you to start serving. You know, it's time for you to stop being selfish. You know, I could just feel him. He was, like, kicking me in the butt. Get in the game, bro. I wasn't doing nothing. I was like, all right. I didn't want to. <laughs> you see what I'm getting at? I didn't want to serve. It was really more out of obedience. I was like, all right, God. I'll start serving. So I, I sign up for the setup team, right? Um, worked with Bill Boyland, you know, awesome dude. You know, in, in setup, this was back in the theater days, had some great conversations. Um, God started cultivating my heart. I actually started to enjoy serving. I was like, wow, really? <laughs> I actually started to enjoy serving. After setup, after setup, I, I moved on to, you know, greeting. I would just stand at the front doors, you know, just trying to get myself in a, in a place, you know, and just serve. Something. Do something. Anything. So I started greeting at the front doors of the theater. And then after that, God just continues to cultivate my heart. I'm like, man, I love this. I love serving. I want to serve now, right? So after that, you know, uh, I start uh, assisting Reen in the uh, splash program, the kids' ministry, start helping her teach. I didn't help much. Uh, Reen, are you in here? There she is. It's my girl. So I start, I start helping Reen. You know, I'm like, man, I'm loving this. I'm loving this whole serving thing. I'm growing. I could feel it. Like, God was working. God was working. And then after assisting, I start teaching in Epic. Or it's called Epic now, Splash back then. I start teaching in Splash. Right? And then after teaching Splash, Splash you know, just kind of moving on in things. You know, and I start actually leading the program. I never thought I would ever be in a position to do that. I start leading the program and then... You know, and then Ezra one day asks me, hey, you know, do you want to preach a sermon? And I'm just like, you know, if I'm going to have this attitude at any time, anywhere, anything, like, I can't say no. You know, I just felt God calling me to just keep moving on, keep pushing forward. 
Keep serving. Be faithful with the small things. Be faithful with setup. And I'll move you on to the next thing. Be faithful with greeting. Some people think greeting, it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. Be faithful with that. And I'll move you on to the greater things and scope. So in the beginning, like I said, I didn't want to do setup. I did it really out of obedience. And then God was cultivating my heart, and I began to love it, and I began growing. And that's how God works. That's how he works through serving. And we're seeing it today in the 60-plus people that serve here at Riverside. I think they're growing. I hope they're growing. <laughs> Folks, when I was a kid, I used to... I used to love Michael Jordan. You know, I, I had the shoes, and I had a Michael Jordan, like, Olympic jersey, right? And I, I loved that commercial. Like Mike, if I could be like Mike, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. You guys know that commercial? Right? So <laughs> the way you be like Mike is, you, is by wearing his shoes, right? You wear his shoes, and you're like Mike, Right? Guys, you want to be like Jesus. You wear his sandals, you get on your knees, and you start washing some feet. That's how you be like Jesus. You start washing feet. You start serving others. That's how you be like Jesus. And you, and you crucify the flesh. You say, Jesus, just take it. Take it. I'll do anything for you. Anything. Anytime, anywhere. Crucify yourself. Lose yourself in Christ. Now, serving can get messy. It's not always easy, serving. Trying to figure out, you know, where God's calling you to serve. You know, it, it can get messy. And I'm still, I still, you know, wrestle through all this. Like, where, where I should be serving, where God's calling me to serve. I fail sometimes. I fail in serving. Last Thanksgiving, uh, we, went, we took a team to Kensington, uh, for a, a turkey and a clothing drive, tons of people down there, right? And I'm there with, like, uh, Freddie Murray and, and George Calaris was there, and we're just, I'm just, like, hanging out there, just uh, conversing, and uh, I see this uh, guy, obviously not well off at all, and it's really cold um, around Thanksgiving last year, and he's got sandals on. He's got sandals on. And I just see it, and I'm like, man, this is one of those moments, like, when, when, when God is calling you to do something, you know it. Like, it's unmistakable. It's this feeling you get in your heart. He's like, give him your shoes. Give him your boots. I had these nice, comfortable boots on. And I was like, man, really, God? But then I'm not going to have shoes. I'm going to, uh, you know... So I didn't do it, and I felt terrible about it, and I told God, I was like, God, all right, if I see him again, I'll do it. If I see him again, I'll do it, God. So about a half hour goes by, and we're inside the facility for something, and I see the guy again, and I'm like, God, you dog, you do it. <laughs> I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I still lament over it. It's something that I definitely grew from, failing and serving. 
I grew from it. And it kind of, it just showed me this whole concept of footprints and anytime, anywhere, anything. When you know God's calling you to serve, you feel that squeeze. Just do it. Just let yourself go and do it. What's your piece of the kingdom? What is our piece of the kingdom? What's it look like? Our piece of the kingdom is, is our family, first and foremost. I'm still wrestling with that. I seem to serve our church better than I do my own family. And I'm, I'm trying to get more of a balance in serving everything well. But you got your family, which comes first. You got your church. You got your church to serve. You got your neighborhood. You got the street you live on. That's the kingdom, the piece of the kingdom that God has given you. You got your street. You got your personal community. We all have a personal community. We all come across different people every day. We all cross paths with different people. How are we serving these people that we come across? That's the piece of the kingdom that God has given you personally. You know, uh, it's, it could be a couple that needs, you know, money for a toll. That's a piece of the kingdom right there. Greeting, hospitality, parking, cafe, preaching, teaching. Folks, just because, you know, I preach up here or Ezra or Keith, it doesn't make us any more special or any more important than anybody else doing other responsibilities here at the church. Cafe, greeting, it's all for the kingdom. We just happen to be called to be doing something different than what you might be doing here at Riverside. You know, Brazil mission trip, that's serving. Mowing your, neighbor, your neighbor's lawn, you know, that happens sometimes. There's requests in the church. Somebody needs their, their lawn mowed and an email goes out and it's like, who wants to do it? People step up and they get it done. It's less about, you know, what you're doing and it's really about who you're doing it for. It's about, it's about you're doing it for Jesus, right? And, and it's about what you're doing it for. You're doing it for the kingdom. That's what you're doing it for. Stephen, he died. He died. It says he, it says he fell asleep. But the church, the church at large needs to just wake up. Wake up. To start answering the call, you got to stop sleeping in. I was sleeping in for a long time. I didn't want to serve. But the church needs to wake up. You start serving. You get in the game. Folks, most of us, like Stephen here, most of us may never have to die for Christ. You know, because of uh, the luxuries we live in here in America, because of our freedoms we'll probably never have to make that choice, renounce Jesus or die. There's people in Iraq, there's Iraq, there's thousands of them making that choice right now. They're being given this choice, renounce Christ or die. And they're dying for it. They're serving Christ by dying. Folks, we may never have to make that choice, but every single one of us in here has a choice to make. And that's to live for Christ. Will you live for Christ? You live for Christ. You live for Christ by serving Christ. And you serve Christ by serving others. And it's not, 
it's not your footprints that are being left, really, right, that are being left behind. It's Jesus's footprints. His footprints should be all over the world, all over this church, all over this church, all over the community, all over your street, all over your family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, God, thank you for this word. God, I pray that when we leave here today, when we leave these doors, that we understand that you're not just in this building, God. You're everywhere. Lord, Jesus is the temple, and our heart is the holy land. It's wherever we go. We don't have to go somewhere to be with you, Jesus. You're already with us, God. Lord, and I thank you for this. It's, it's a luxury. It's a, it's a privilege. to by, by faith, we get such a gift, God, that when we, when we receive the gospel, that we get this access and we get this relationship uh, with you, Jesus. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a privilege. It's a luxury, God. And I pray that when we leave these doors, we just go out in our neighborhoods and our streets and we wrestle with this. God, it's not easy. It's not easy that... You call us to serve, you choose us, but you leave us right where we are. God, Lord, just show us uh, where you want us to serve and give us hearts of uh, anywhere, anytime, anything. Anywhere, anytime, anything, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.